Reflections. So I just got back from the Summit for Transformative Learning in St. Louis a day or so ago, and I thought I'd do a little reflection. It was mentioned at the conference that people perhaps only retain 5% of what they encounter at a conference. So I thought I'd give you some thoughts and some reflections to try and do better than 5% and let you know what I'm thinking about as I go into the summer. So bonus episode, stay tuned. So Amy Berval gave the opening keynote where she talked about a concept called Meraki. And she essentially described it as leave your soul in your work. This is one of those moments where the things that I've been thinking about over the last year or so merge with what you're doing at professional development, which as a teacher, those things don't always happen. Um, leave your soul in your work. It's probably one of the deepest things a teacher can do because students know when your soul is being left in your work. They can see it and feel it and almost touch it because it permeates the air. So I got the opportunity to do a session on remixes and mashups and things that you can do in the classroom. So she called it Remix Ed. Um, so it was a workshop that we did um, Tuesday afternoon. Um, it was a moment where I was slightly confused more than once. <laughs> um, so the session that I'd gone to in the morning ended at 1130. So I was fully expecting the afternoon to get pick up at, at 1230, um, but it didn't pick up until 1. Um, just because of the way the session workshop schedule went. And um, I didn't realize this. I also didn't realize that they'd switched rooms, but this was an easy... <laughs> This was an easy fix. So I showed up a half hour early um, and walked into this room and was interested in attending something that uh, was deeply around creativity because I've been thinking about my own creativity, the ways in which that can land itself into, its, into the classroom, um, how it is that this sense of play and the sense of wonder is a part of learning. Um, so I walk into the room and I had a moment of very mild panic. There was this big knot that formed in my stomach. There were things on the tables and I came to this realization that yes, we were going to be doing things um, and building stuff. Um, it is not comfortable for me to do some of these creative things um, because I'm often locked up by what are people going to think about X, Y, or Z or think about what it is that I've put down on the paper or what I'm sharing. Um, but I've shared over the last six months or so the value that I've gotten out of delaying judgment or deferring judgment. 
And while that didn't pass through my mind at the time, that was what I processed. The knot in my stomach went away for a couple of reasons. One, because Amy led a really good workshop. And we all chose to not engage in judgment, but having an atmosphere of sharing what we're doing and sharing our own knowledge, sharing experiences, sharing what we each connect with, which is sometimes very different. One of the things around creativity and building things and doing mashups, doing remixes, is that they are open to interpretation um, and there is ambiguity there. Sometimes it's hard to deal with the ambiguity, but it is one of the reasons that after I felt a knot in my stomach that I stayed for the workshop was this is something that I continue want to continue to do and um, and want to continue to create things um, in in ways that I've never done before. It was a fantastic workshop. I had a lot of fun, a lot of fun doing that. Um, so one of the things that we did was we did a um, a mashup mashup poetry, if you will, um, where we took lines from Jefferson's letter to Lewis and JFK's Go to the Moon speech. So here is the poem that I wrote taking lines from those two, um, from those two pieces. Delighted to be here, seen the so I'll try this again. Delighted to be here, seeing the act they passed, instruments you will have, whole stretches of the unknown. Occasional communications, circumstances arise at breathtaking pace, opening vistas of space. Progress teaches us to explore, take observations, to comprehend the good of all men. Set sail on this new sea in the same manner, the best of our energies to acquire knowledge. <laughs> Instruct and take care and inform this dangerous and greatest adventure. So it was, it was a lot of fun to learn new techniques and to experiment with things that I knew, I'd never tried before. Um, and just to have focus on the doing, the creating, dealing with and processing the ambiguity. So um, I'd kind of gone um, thinking about project-based learning and PBL um, and, and ultimately decided to, to attend this workshop on creativity and I'm glad that I did. The head of school and the director of innovation uh, and academics at the Principia School um, gave a couple of talks around making the case for change, and that was certainly a phrase that I heard more than once, making the case for change in education. 
um, and talking about the process that Principia has been through over the last four years as they have started to think about how to answer their central question. And the central question that they mentioned was how do we lead for innovation and create that culture? Wow, <laughs> a big question. Um, as our school at Cassidy is making moves to, as um, our associate head of school for academics calls it, move the big rocks. Um, I, I found a lot of this interesting and thoughtful and good to think about. Um, so I asked the question almost immediately. As a head of school, you're going to try and change the tires while the car is moving at 90 miles an hour. If that's what we're trying to do, that induces a lot of fear. How do you manage the fear? And the response that I got was, that's the million-dollar question. So here's the takeaway. Everybody is dealing with fear. Change brings fear. And how do you management manage it? It's the million-dollar question. It's what everybody's trying to figure out to some extent. Um, technology impacts students, and students don't necessarily make sense of what's being streamed in front of them. There is not just constant information, but there is constant media being streamed all the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, whether it's in the form of ads, YouTube videos, what comes in your email, what have you. And one of the things that we need to be able to prepare students for is how to process what's being streamed in front of them. In some sense, this is going to become the new rhetoric. Technology impacts students. It goes the other way around, too. Students can impact technology. And this comes from schools having the ability to make connections with professors at local universities, with business, and so on. But it's also internal in that we as teachers can teach students how to create um, and use technology to create. One of the things that Peter Dry mentioned um, in his talk was that zero feedback is more damaging than negative feedback. And there's research to support that. That was... I've always known that, but it was also one of my takeaways from the conference. When there's zero feedback, not only are you not being given feedback around what you're doing, and your brain isn't having other people stimulate questions around how you can do it better or if what you're doing is what you should be doing. Zero feedback is 
the equivalent of leaving somebody to the wolves. I think in that statement that there's a lot to think about. Um, zero feedback is more damaging than negative feedback. Teacher leaders was the other thing that was talked about. There is a book out there um, on teacher leadership called Awakening the Sleeping Giant. This is something that I haven't voiced a lot, but I've felt deeply ever since I got into education. Um, there needs to be a professional path for teachers in the classroom. Teachers have all kinds of skills, and I feel like it's perhaps especially true at independent schools where we are hiring a lot of PhDs or we're hiring a number of people that spent time in PhD programs or have done really, really deep dives into what they're passionate about and what they teach. Teachers at large have a goat load of skills. That's fact. And teachers at large want to be able to use those skills to feed their soul and to make students environments as positive and as learning enabled as possible without a professional path the only way for a teacher to move their career forward quote unquote is to become an administrator something like 84% of teachers who are interested in leadership have no interest in becoming administrators. So I think it is a very real question. How do we best use teachers' skills when they want to stay in the classroom? Salaried positions have always had this contradiction of, well, I'm going to pay you X and I get to set your time frame. We have to be careful of overloading people with too much to do and wearing too many hats. Because if you drown your talent, one, your talent isn't going to be able to do the job effectively or efficiently. And two, that your talent will probably walk out the door. So teacher leaders, some teachers want time and compensation for their extra jobs. Some teachers like money and compensation for the, for the extra things that have been put onto them. Um, however that comes about, and I'm interested to see how it does come about, we'll have to be careful about what more we lay on to teachers and how we do it. But I also think that it is extraordinarily important to use the skills of the entire faculty. Um, Heidi Jacobs gave the keynote on Tuesday and again her um, her take was on making change in education. 
again, this, this idea of making a case for change. She asks three questions, what to cut, what to keep, and what to create. It has long been is a thought of mine that we don't have to throw everything out. There's nothing per se wrong with direct instruction. And there isn't anything per se wrong with lecturing. I've been to some really good lectures. Um, really, really good ones. And if lecturing really didn't work, nobody would show up to a TED Talk. But direct instruction allows for some things to happen, such as getting information out in the most efficient manner to the most number of people possible in one given moment. Um, it allows the instructor to give guidance and insight into what's being taught. But there's a number of things that don't happen with direct instruction. Students don't have to struggle to find that insight. They don't have to um, deal with the ambiguity of trying to arrive and understand the concept. So what to cut? Some schools have advocated for cutting half of the content in any given course what to keep there's things that we're doing well we should keep doing them and what to create what new opportunities can be created in the classroom to um, to give students the best opportunity to learn both the content and the um, other kinds of skills that they need to go off out into the world um, she made the argument that for big, bold, audacious dreams to come true at schools, that there are four things that have to be dealt with um, in, in tandem. Um, looking at physical and virtual spaces, schedule, dealing with the tyranny of time, learners, how they're grouped together, how it is that they're learning together, and personnel. Um, so those four things come in tandem. And she argues that in order to achieve change, in order to make big, bold, audacious dreams come true, that those four things have to be worked with. She also made an argument for making fresh language around spaces. So... She noticed that when architects were building schools, that places where a culture of innovation was being bred, that the architects were not using the word classroom. And so where would you rather go to school? Would you like to go to school where your rooms and your spaces are labeled things like general classroom, lab room, this is the place that bores me to no end. Okay, I made that last one up. Or would you rather be at a place where learning took place in a project terrace or an R&D garage, a seminar room? What happens in the classical academy room? Interesting thoughts, because I know how I would answer that question, and I think I know how most people would answer that question. What happens in the classical academy room? What do we do out on the project terrace? 
so that's a that's an interesting interesting idea and an interesting thing to to think about I think as change continues to come to education that there's going to be a lot of very very difficult conversations around what teachers do how we best prepare students how we how we bring kind of some of the philosophical notions back into education because the focus has been what do I need to get a job and is robotics and artificial intelligence machine learning continue to take manufacturing jobs out of the equation and the things that are required to be successful in jobs that are going to exist are things that make us incredibly human that require empathy require collaboration, collegiality, the capability to communicate with each other, the capacity to understand, communicate, and continually learn technical ideas and concepts, analysis, synthesis. I think that while being able to consume content and being able to work in particular structures is going to continue to be important. The need to do things in an environment that is perhaps a little less structured than business places have been in the past and the ability to solve open-ended and perhaps ambiguous problems is going to continue um, to increase. So those are some thoughts around um, what I experienced and what I've been thinking about um, since STL and STL. So I hope you are well and I hope you all have a great summer.